Aristotle defined tragedy as an imitation of an action that is serious, complete, and of certain magnitude, in language embellished with each kind of artistic ornament, several kinds being found in several parts of the play, in the form of action, not of narrative, through pity and fear, affecting the proper purgation of these emotions. Aristotle emphasizes the importance of making the audience experience two emotions, pity and fear. Through this, many playwrights have sought to create a masterpiece, the hero who makes choices that push him past the point of no return. This instills fear in the audience, all while the character makes choices throughout the play that shows us what this person had to offer if they hadn't made said choice, in turn evoking pity from the audience. There are many simplified stories about heroes with no points of return, but an in-depth and critically thought-out work is that of Macbeth written by William Shakespeare. Act 2, Scene 1, Court of Macbeth's Castle. How goes the night, boy? The moon is down. I have not heard the clock. And she goes down at twelve. I take it is later, sir. Hold. Take my sword. There's husbandry in heaven. Their candles are all out. Take thee that, too. A heavy summons lies like lead upon me, and yet I would not sleep. Merciful powers, restrain in me the cursed thoughts that nature gives way to in repose. There's husbandry in heaven. Their candles are all out. Banquo is saying that the stars are not out. We know that both Macbeth and Lady Macbeth prayed for darkness to hide two things. Macbeth that the darkness would hide his face, showing he tr doesn't truly want to kill Duncan. His hand is being forced by Lady Macbeth. And Lady Macbeth praying that darkness would hide the glare of the dagger. And yet I would not sleep. Here we see a motif of sleeplessness. A motif is a recurring idea or symbol that, it, that is, a, is distinctive throughout the work. Throughout Macbeth, the idea of sleep symbolizes innocence. However, in return, sleeplessness symbolizes the opposite, guilt. An important figure to note throughout Macbeth is the characters that do and do not experience sleeplessness. Sleep, or lack thereof, can show the audience or reader the truth about a character. Give me my sword. Who's there? A friend. A friend? But is he really his friend? What? Sir? Not yet at rest? The king's abed. He hath been an unusual pleasure, and sent forth great largesse to your offices. This diamond he greets your wife withal, by the name of most kind hostess, and shut up in measureless content. In this time period, the pronoun you was used to address acquaintances or people you wanted to distance yourself from. Thou would have been used for friends. Let's continue to make use note of the uses of you versus thou throughout these, this scene. Banquo's use of you reinforces the idea that he and Macbeth aren't really friends. Additionally, Banquo is sharing with the audience or reader how kind, generous, and good the king is. This evokes pity for the king, one of the two emotions Aristotle describes as crucial in a tragedy, making the reader question how deserving the king is for his inevitable murder. Being unprepared, our will became the servant to defect, which else 
should free have wrought. All's well. I dreamt last night of the three weird sisters. To you, they have showed some truth. It is important to note that the witches shared some truth, but not all truth. I think not of them. Yet, when we can entreat an hour to serve, we would spend it in some words upon that business, if you would grant the time. Here we see Macbeth's premature use of the royal wheat. The king is still alive, Macbeth holds no royal title. This shows a psychological shift in Macbeth, as he has no doubt he will become king, and trust which is fully. This evokes fear from the audience surrounding Macbeth's intentions and makes them question his mental stability. At your kind's leisure, if you shall cleave to my consent when tis, it shall make honor for you. Macbeth understands the power of alliances and is asking Banquo to be his ally once he is named king. He tells Banquo that he will be rewarded for staying quiet and sticking with Macbeth. So I lose none in seeking to augment it, but still keep my bosom franchised and allegiance clear. I shall be counseled. My bosom franchised and allegiance clear. Here, Banquo wants to keep his conscience clear and essentially is saying he will not go against his morals to defend Macbeth. Good. Repose the while. Thanks, sir. The like to you. Go bid thy mistress, when my drink is ready, she strike upon the bell. Get thee to bed. Is this a dagger which I see before me? The handle toward my hand? Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not. And yet I see thee still. Art thou not, fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight? Or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation proceeding from the heat-oppressed brain? I see thee yet, in form as palpable as this which now I draw. Thou marshalst me the way that I was going, and such an instrument I was to use. Mine eyes are made the fools of the other senses, or else worth all the rest. I see thee still, and on thy blade and dudgeon gouts of blood, which was not so before, there's no such thing. It is the bloody business which informs thus to mine eyes. Now, o'er the one half-world, nature seems dead, and wicked dreams abuse the curtain's sleep. Witchcraft celebrates pale Hecate's offerings, and withered murder, alarmed by his sentinel, the wolf, whose howls is watch, thus with his stealthy pace, with Tarquin's ravishing strides towards his design, moves like a ghost. Thou sure and firm-set earth, hear not my steps, which way they walk, for fear thy very stones prate of my whereabout. 
and take the present horror from the time which now suits with it. Whiles I threat, he lives. Words to the heat of deeds, to cold breath gives. Is this a dagger which I see before me, the handle toward my hand? Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Art thou not, fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight, or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation? Macbeth is hallucinating that there is a dagger guiding him to Duncan's chambers due to the guilt he feels. Macbeth is logically and ethically driven, but this decision is neither ethical nor logical. Going back to the point of Macbeth's psychological shift, this also brings up another motif, appearance versus reality. Mine eyes are made the fools owe the other senses, or else worth all the rest, I see thee still. Macbeth is fully aware that the dagger is a hallucination, but cannot overcome his desire to become king and the steps he feels he must take to get there. Lines 46 and 48 both mention blood. This foreshadows the blood that will be on the dagger Macbeth uses to kill the king. On line 52, Hecate is brought up. Hecate is the chief goddess presiding over magic and spells. This circles back to the witches and how greatly they affected Macbeth. While I threat, he lives. Words to the heat of deeds, too cold breath gives. Shakespeare uses rhyme and Macbeth to bring attention to what the speaker is saying or sharing with the audience. Macbeth begins to become cowardly, a trademark Lady Macbeth has been quick to point out in him. I go, and it is done. The bell invites me. Hear it not, Duncan, for it is a knell that summons thee to heaven or to hell. I go, and it is done. This is an understatement, isn't Macbeth is going to kill the king. He's downplaying what he plans on doing so that he doesn't feel as guilty. The bell invites me. Macbeth uses this as a defense mechanism to provide his reasoning for going to kill the king. Mac Hear it not, Duncan, for it is Nell that summons thee to heaven or hell. Another rhyme is used to grab the reader's attention. Now, throughout this scene, a major question is brought up. Is Macbeth culpable? I believe Macbeth is not culpable because he hallucinates, which is an obvious indicator that something is not right with him mentally. He doesn't comprehend the depth of what he is doing. He personifies the bell, showcasing how he doesn't understand the consequences for his actions and the gravity of something as serious as committing murder. I believe Macbeth is culpable because he understands when he is hallucinating. He has full understanding of what his hallucinations mean, and he holds normal conversations about power and alliances. In lines 33 and 34, Macbeth hallucinates that there is a dagger floating in front of him. The dagger is later described as covered in blood. People who are sane and mentally stable do not have hallucinations, especially not hallucinations of bloody daggers. Well, Macbeth is completely aware that he is hallucinating. In lines 37 to 39, he exposes how the dagger is a false creation of his mind. Acknowledging that he isn't really seeing anything makes him culpable due to mentally being capable of comprehension. Macbeth also begins using the royal we, which is an indicator that he is already putting himself in the mindset of being king. As Macbeth continues to go against his morals, he becomes less predict predictable and more tyrannical. Lines 44-45 showcase Macbeth's desire to be king and have power. He is, expressive, he is expressing his want to be king and have power. 
He understands what it is making him kill the king. This makes him culpable because he understands the cause of his future actions. Macbeth's psychological issues become more prominent throughout the story. Many of these can be traced back to the verbal abuse he endures from Lady Macbeth. Lady Macbeth consistently questions Macbeth's manliness and calls him a coward. I think Macbeth is not culpable because Lady Macbeth proves, pushes him to prove himself. Well, lastly, on line 26, Macbeth tries forming an alliance with Banquo. Macbeth values alliances and power. It is crucial to have alliances when in a position of power. Macbeth is fully aware of this meaning, of this, meaning he is in a comprehensible mental capacity, making him culpable.